Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast, the podcast that could have told you not to trust the Russians ever since they sold us Alexei Mikhailichenko. This week on Heart and Hand, more misfortune at Motherwell multiplies murty misery. Today's show is brought to you by Maitland & Co, solicitors and notaries. Now, of course, we hope that you never need to avail yourselves of legal services, but unfortunately, life isn't like that. And Maitland & Co are specialists in criminal defence and road traffic law, and they come highly recommended from heart and hand. They cover all over Scotland, and they deal with all types of criminal cases, including road traffic law. They appear in Justice of the Peace, Sheriff and High Courts. They're on call 24-7, because unfortunately you're never going to know when you're going to need a lawyer and they are available 24-7 for police station interviews, prison visits, legal aid is available, competitive rates if applicant is not eligible for legal aid and first interview is free. Maitland & Co. have represented fans charged under the offensive behaviour at football legislation. So, if you ever need legal counsel, the best place to go is Maitland & Co. Get in touch with them at info at maitlandandco.net. That's info at maitland, M-A-I-T-L-A-N-D and co.net. 07714615845 that's info at maitlandandco.net 07714615845 for all your criminal defence needs so welcome to Heart and Hand the Rangers podcast my name's David Edgar I am your host as always and joining me tonight is a stellar pod liner a stellar pod lineup I tell you first of all it's the man that is is rapidly growing into everybody's favourite podder here yes the mellifluous tones of Mr Andy McGowan hello Andy Hello, David. What does Stella mean? Shite. <laughs> it usually means go home and not fuck out the wife. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but that's, that, that tends to be why I avoid it these days. 
Um, also joining us on the line, he may sound about 13, but he certainly doesn't look it, as anyone who saw the pre-match video on Patreon from Saturday will attest to. <laughs> yes, it's Mr Adam Thornton. Hello, my man. Hello, David. Hello, Andy. Now, lads, before we get into, obviously, Saturday's game and uh, where that leaves us for the rest of the season, I think that we should take a moment or two to wish the best to Ray Wilkins, who I'm sure that you have... All heard listeners is in a medically induced coma at the moment after suffering from a cardiac arrest. Uh, shocking news come through over the weekend, and obviously, you know, we, we all wish him well. He's he's a real um, favorite favorite member of the Rangers family. And and while Adam, I'm thinking you might have been a little too young to 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 have seen him, Andy. I'm sure you, uh, like myself, were able to watch him back in the day. And uh, as a footballer, he just oozed class, didn't he? Aye, the word I was going to use was class, he was brilliant. I think when he came to Rangers, there was a couple of raised eyebrows because he was 32. We were making big signings at the time and it was a kind of left-field uh, signing at the time. But he soon dispelled that because when he came in the team, he made a massive difference and he was, he was uh, one of the best passes of the ball I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Of course, me and you, David, are able to remember the 5-1 game and what a kind of momentous moment that was in that goal in there. I don't think we'll ever see anything like that. There's some goals that are immortal, Adam, aren't they? And they, <laughs> you can have maybe eight or nine old firm goals, a la Kenny Miller, but I don't think any of them have achieved the the lifelong repute of that Ray Wilkins goal. Just some goals at a moment in time and the way they're scored and, and who they're scored against live forever, and that's certainly one of them. It's, it's one. I was way too young. I think I was about three or four when he when he left. But it's one of those goals that it's one of the first goals I can remember that I've not. I never seen if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, um, just, just everywhere. Um, I would pick that one. Maybe the um, David Cooper drive a cup one. They're, they're, they're right up there. Um, that's one of the, the greatest goals that Rangers have ever scored. I think so. Yeah, wish them all the best. And uh, we'd also like to take a wee moment to um, send our, our thoughts to the family of Stuart Peden, who played Broxy Bear at Ibrox, uh, who passed away over the weekend as well. Tragic news. Uh, far too young to be taken and a guy who gave a lot of his time to try and entertain the kids at Ibrox. So uh, I have a down note to, to start the pod on, but, but obviously we're hoping for good news about Ray and that he will start to recover soon. So with that, on to Saturday's game at Motherwell. Both of you were in attendance at it, and I won't go through what happened because everybody will have seen it, Andy. <laughs> it was, to to use the cliche, a game of two halves, Rangers in the first half, if anything, were, I thought, slightly worse than we were against Kilmarnock, which was exemplified by the fact that, in all fairness, Motherwell played really well. That's not to say that that negates what Rangers' performance was, because it wasn't a case of, oh, Motherwell played on. It was a side that you can't do anything against if they play well. Motherwell, you know, with all due respect, even playing well, we should be able to cope better. And... We try not to exaggerate on here, unless it's for comic effect, and there was certainly no laughs to be had as a Rangers fan watching that first half. Andy, if we'd gone in three or four down, I don't think we could have had many complaints. No, I mean, I tend to, when I come on the pod, I tend to run my, my emotions and how I felt and then try to measure it, make it a wee bit more measured, but I was totally infuriated at half-time. I was, I was going nuts. It was... Uh, I thought that playing against Motherwell, you've, you've kind of mentioned there, you know what you're going to be up against. Right. And to come out of the tunnel and to be not really ready for it, but for what I could see, 
uh, was unforgivable. Um, there was about ten minutes into the game, and Morelos was losing the rag after he, he get back. He was back in one of the defenders, and he never got the decision for the ref when he confronted the ref. And at that point, I says, "Fucking hell, they've got us already. We've lost the rag." And and if I was a Marvel player, I'd have been sitting there saying, "We've got you in tow, son," because. The old Neil McCann adage that um, came into my mind at that point, which was the fire in the belly, ice in the veins, we didn't have that. We might have had a fire in the belly, but we weren't controlling it, and we weren't being intelligent about it. And at both ends of the park, we get found one, and we were lucky to get in at half-time still alive in the game. I didn't think we even were, at two, honestly. Um, I couldn't see... Well, neither did I. No, no. to be honest, I didn't, but... Football-wise, two nothing, doing you're still there. Oh, yeah, you know if you get the next goal, that was what I was clinging on to. If we get the next goal, but I must admit, if you'd said to me, "Gut feeling, David, do you think we're going to come back and get something?" I would have said no because that had been three halves of football where we just hadn't turned up at all, and I think that was the most frustrating thing for me. To your point about Morelos, and I'll come to you on this, Adam. I, exactly what you were saying, Andy. I've watched you know, watching the game back. The Motherwell player behind him is smiling because it, exactly he knows he's got him. Motherwell had gone out to try and wind him up, and we've defended Alfie on on here numerous times about I think a Scottish media witch hunt about this whole oh he's he, oh he gets wound up he needs to control his temper. I thought they overplayed it, but clearly it's now a thing with opposition teams. And Adam, he's got to learn to react better because it, it, it's a vicious circle if you if they try to get you because they think you can be got at and then you show you can be got at then it's only going to get worse I, 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 did, I did feel from a little bit to be honest I think it was uh, two clear free kicks for us I think um, it was and he's, he's obviously reacted fair enough he can't he can get away with that and, and it's a it's a booking but you're right it, was, it, was a, it seemed like it was a premeditated thing um, to be fair to him I don't think he really let it bother him in the rest of the game although it maybe just stunted him a little bit uh, I noticed a couple of a couple of times where he was considering sneaking in and taking the ball and it might have risked being a peak kick if he was a second late and he kind of pulled out a little bit so it does blunt him a little bit um, that's now I think what five it's five bookings in, in 28 games or so so it's not a massive deal but it, it's it's something that we need to be aware of here I don't mind bookings for physicality or for tackles, that happens. Um, bookings for two things drive me up the wall, descent and taking your shirt off after you're scored. I, I just would find the shit out of them for that, um, both of which I think are, are totally unnecessary. Andy, we've talked about this before, but such as football, you know, games happen every week. Uh, our centre-back pairing. And I fucking told you all season, all of you, all of you, that David Bates was one of our better defenders. And you all kind of agreed with me, which blunts my point slightly. But other people didn't. And you, Andy, eh? you said Bruno Alves was quite good. <laughs> and <laughs> Sorry. and uh, yeah, it's Alves and Martin as a centre-back partnership worries the shit out of me. Uh, I'll correct you first of all I, I defended David Bates Yes you did You did But it, it kind of pissed on my point Slightly to, to go there <laughs> But you're right What you said about Bruno Alves Because I've I've defended Alves <clears throat> And uh, I think I've been as far as to say That if he's fit He should be on the team And uh, What happened this Saturday Was you had two centre halves And They get caught cold And this is Take me back to my point About coming out of that tunnel Not being ready In inverted commas 
uh, it wasn't good enough. And I don't think it was solely due to them. I think the way the team was set up, we seen Dorms at the second goal was was culpable and, and kind of exposed Alves. Um, if I'm being really, really kind, then that would be my defence of the two of them. I would say that the defence, uh, sorry, the formation of the team isn't conducive to uh, protecting the two. We've not got a natural holding midfielder, we've not got a Ryan Jack. Um, and, and the way they play with Bohm and, and Maine, they would be a handful for anybody. I've got to say that when, when they're up and they're fire, firing and uh, they're, they're as aggressive as they were in that first 25 minutes, then there would be a problem for anybody. But it still doesn't uh, give them a pass because Martin was very poor at that, that uh, penalty. He didn't need to make the challenge. He'd caught it on the wrong side of the guy. He could have done anything by that. He could have jockeyed him. I don't know. It's, um, it was a very, very poor penalty giveaway. Always. But I think the same goal, I'll, I'll defend Alves a wee bit. The guy's running on at a pace. Very, very hard thing to defend against. And it was because he got a, a yard or two on Dorgans because Dorgans was sleeping. We spoke about this before, about why the persistence, Adam. And, and Adam, for those of you who are on the Patreon site, will know a tactics guy. Um, we've been without a recognised defensive midfielder for a number of months. And the Goss-Dockerty partnership worked really well against teams who were more likely to sit in against us, as, as we, we've noticed. But this is not... If you like, this is not a bit of um, hindsight. This is something we've been saying on the show and people have been saying to us for a while now that we don't have a guy in there who senses danger. The, why every week are we saying this same thing and losing goals because of this and, and creating opportunities for the opposition because of this and yet the manager does nothing to try and change it? And we just we play the same formation every week with a slight change of personnel despite the fact that consistently the same mistakes or if you like the same mistakes are forced when an opposition combats it in a certain way it was nothing new what Motherwell did to us at the weekend and the fact that it happened again I found intensely frustrating Alves and Martin just don't work uh, as a central pairing for me Uh, they both want to sit too deep Neither of them wants to come and, and attack the ball because they've got a lack of pace. And when we don't have a defensive midfielder as well, that creates quite a big gap between centre mid and centre defence. And I think, to Andy's point there, that's exactly what you've seen in the second goal. Uh, Alves is totally blameless. Uh, Dorans loses the runner. There's, there's a few feelings um, before that, which we can come on to later on. But um, Alves, is I don't think he's to blame there. I mean, Campbell is, is pretty fast and Alves is, is pretty not fast. So... He's running at speed and Alves is standing. I think that's that's fair enough. Um, that type of thing happens. I think you're right about Marty. I don't understand what he's doing. Really, it's frustrating the life out of me. Um, in, in terms of the the four two three one, if you want to be kind to him, it, it could be personnel. I know that Alex is, is champion championing that, but for me, I would rather play. I'd rather play a three-man midfield that's got Jason Holt in it then continue with what we're doing just now. Um, I, I, I think that offers us a bit more solidity. It means that we can cover the space a bit better and, and have somebody that can do some tracking back. It's not great, but another body in there rather than continually going two against three against better teams or, or more physical teams or more organised teams is just absolutely killing us. Andy, the I swore, I swore that we wouldn't go talk about Josh Windass, right? But <laughs> uh, it does sort of lead on. Uh, one thing I noticed speaking to a lot of Bears is at games or you know watching at home, he has 
a certain percentage of people who really, really like him and won't hear any criticism against him. And he has a significant... He, he does... He's Marmite as a player. He, he doesn't seem to be anybody who thinks he's all right or, you know, just part of... You're part of the side or whatever. People either really focus on him or really defend him. Maybe that's just the way society goes these days with, with social media and whatnot, but politics there, kids. But um, there is this polarisation about it. And... Listening to people after the weekend, you know, reading comments, people people chatting to me, because um, I'm quite fortunate with the you know the site and everything that people do get in touch with me, and, and I, I like it to gauge the opinion of of Rangers support and as many as I can I can speak to. And one thing that just kept occurring to me is that I would say that the vast majority don't like him for whatever reason. That's not to say they don't rate him or they don't see he can bring something to the team or whatever, but. I just kept getting this feeling of they just don't fucking like him. And when he has a game like that, he is going to be the focus of their anger because, as I say, there's no bond there and there's no reason for them not to pick on him, if you know what I mean. Aye, I do. I've got to say that before I came on an eight, I told myself, listen, you've got to be, uh, you've got to be measured in what you say about Windass because... He was not the reason we lost and uh, we drew on Saturday. But it comes back to the... We've spoken about many a time. The formation, his role in the formation, his responsibility, um, and what we're getting back at times is nowhere near enough. Now, I think every, every team in Scotland's now got us in terms of the way we play. I think they know that if they get an extra man midfield, they've got a great chance. Um, uh, and they know what... When Dash is going, to, if they know that if they snuff when Dash, then there's a lot of our potential attacking players completely blunted. When Dash is a player, I don't think it's going to be any surprise to him that listens to me regularly. I don't like him as a focal point. The reason being that for me, when Dash compared to Murphy or even Dorns on Saturday, right? Dorns have been for five months. Second half, they took the game by the scruff of the neck. They tried to make things happen. They committed multiple players. were trying to take them on. They were putting themselves in the line. We didn't get any of that for Josh Windass. I didn't see. I can't really actually remember him taking somebody on the edge of the box, trying to get a free kick. I remember a couple of shots, but it just isn't enough for him. And I think he's a good player. I think he's got a lot of ability. But there's this X factor that you need to have playing for Rangers and you keep saying about the reason Rangers fans have not really taken to him the reason Rangers fans have not really taken to him is because he's a shitbag right he's a good old fashioned shitbag he will only put his body in the line for the team he will only put his foot in and uh, it's just a part of his makeup that I don't think he'd ever get out of the boy he's no got a heart so if you're playing him in that position and it's not working for him the manager has to be strong enough to say right you're off and we're going to replace you with another player we're going to try something different I think Murty has got far too much faith in the boy and I, I remember saying once when Kishina was here that if he puts his faith in Windass Windass is the kind of player who will get the sack and I referred back to the Nieder Corn game he came on as a sub over in Luxembourg and uh, played a pretty large hand in the two goals we lost he also cost us in the semi-final things like that stick in the memory of supporters because um they're not outweighed by even a goal against Celtic because he then disappeared for the rest of that game. So Windass has got a role to play, but it should be measured, it should be kept in context. I think if we get an offer from him in the summer, we should take it. 
That's a, a very old school summation there from Andy. Now, Adam, you like expected goals and all that wank. Come out and give me a, <laughs> a new age defence of Josh Windass. Hey, no. I'm not doing it. Hey, I can't. I, I can't defend him. I, I fall on the. He's a luxury that we can't afford just now. I think Andy, your point there about he wasn't to blame for the game on Saturday. That's that's true. And in, in the purest sense of he didn't give away any goals and he didn't miss any big chances, etc. However, he is a symptom of it. I think the this formation yeah. that, the formation that we played right now is, to my mind, solely because of Josh Windus. Um, yeah. That's that's. that's that's what we play so well it's not his fault that that's happening um, he isn't good enough for me to be in that number 10 support striker whatever you want to call it we are not a good enough team to be able to carry somebody who might score a couple of goals every couple of games it's just not working if you think of it in, in pure number sense we're trying to fit in one player to the detriment of the two centre mids that we've got and the two centre halves that we've got so we're losing something from four positions to maybe gain something in one position so in, in terms of the law of averages it's, it's not working out for me um, and I would also say on on Saturday as well it's maybe a little bit harsh however the second goal for Motherwell if you look at it Martin clears the ball initially and there's a, a, a bit of a loose ball in the central midfield which Windass and McHugh are challenging is, is probably kind um, McHugh just powers over Windass and just takes the ball and gets it back and that's where the move come from. Windass does not make any attempt to win that ball. If that's Dockery in there or oh, a little bit, somebody a little bit further forward that's making that challenge, they might put a bit more into it. Even fucking Halliday, as much as it, it may not be a good idea. If he's in that situation, he maybe tries a bit more and stops that before it gets far. Now, he's not to blame because there's a couple of other issues in the goal. Martin, Tav, Dorans are, are all culpable. He's not to blame. But if he stops at his source... Who knows? Um, so for me, he is a luxury. I don't think he should be playing. David, I was you remember for the WhatsApp group. As soon as our second goal went in, Marwell had a bit of a chance, and then they made a change and they brought on Stephen Henry for Freer and went a bit more defensive. And at that point, I was like, just get get him off, get McCrory on, sort out the midfield, and get Dorans and Dockery a bit further forward and and try and get more offensive pressure because he's not doing anything. And it kind of transpired that he, he did nothing for the rest of the game. Um, and I feel like that is not his fault per se. It's it's to do with Murty, and he's maybe as Andy said, he's he's over relying on him or his belief that he's eventually going to going to get it right. But it's starting to be to the detriment of the the wider team. Well, I was going to defend him, but you've made the point I would have, which is that I don't entirely blame Josh Windass because I agree with with both of you that that I think the manager is tailoring the team around him. And unfortunately, I don't think Josh Windass at this point in his career is good enough to have a whole team tailored around him, especially if the whole team isn't the strongest. And I think that one of the problems that we face because of that is that Josh Windass needs the rest of the team to be playing well to play well. And if they're not, and they weren't on Saturday, they weren't against Kilmarnock, he's ineffective. And that's that's just automatic. So... I kind of feel for him a little bit with regards to that because I think he could turn around and say, well, if the guys behind me are having a bad game, there's not much I can do to affect it. And the manager clearly does say to him, you don't need to track back, you don't need to worry about becoming a third man in midfield, your job's to stay up there. Um, so I would 
kind of defend him from that, even though I would agree with you that I think we need to be looking at him as a certain game player rather than every game player and every game tailed round him player. Um, one of the things I think we should though give a bit of credit for is that at 2-0 down, I thought we're probably dead and buried here. We came back um, and one of the things I thought was quite interesting was that the the first half, the referee had a howler. He gave everything to Motherwell. Uh, there was at least four or five, uh, five, I think, challenges that were quite clearly Rangers fouls that went the wrong way. And it was uh, the penalty was soft. Um, there's minimal contact. The boy dives, but there, there is a little bit of contact. But I didn't think it was a penalty. The second half, the ref gave us everything. And I'm quite open about saying that the ref did and there were at least I've watched the game twice now there were at least four or five fouls that he totally should not have given or should have given all of the decisions went our way and to me it was almost like we get a penalty that's a very soft penalty almost to balance it out and it was almost like at half time someone had a word with him or he realised ah fuck um, I've given everything to Motherwell here and he then thought I'll balance it by giving everything to Rangers. And I don't think that's good enough. I just want referees to referee the game rather than to have this constant mental fight and battle with themselves about, well, if I give that, will people say I gave everything to Rangers? Well, I better give that to them. I better. Why can we not just have referees, Andy, that referee the fucking football match that they're in charge of? Aye, if only. <laughs> Aye. I mean, we've spoken, we've spoken about referees on here before and... Uh, I, I, that was noticed when we started that the, the first half everybody knows how Motherwell play and he was letting them out we've always used the phrase rewarding physicality and they were, he was rewarding their physicality he was letting them get away with things and uh, and in the second half he wasn't he and it was really noticeable the penalty for Rangers I thought I thought it was soft but I know I could see why he gave it it looked like a penalty in real time it did in all fairness as did the from his angle Aye, I thought I thought it just looked like a penalty in real time, but with the hindsight of replays, and obviously you can see the boy we got the ball first. But um, nah, refereeing standards in Scotland, we could talk on it, but they're just so poor, and I don't think there's a quick fix because you go you go full time overnight. Does it make it particularly better? They probably be better. They probably be a wee bit sharper, but not immediately. I don't no. know that. No, we've spoke about that there's actually a, a, a fundamental thing wrong with Scottish refereeing, which is what what they allow to go. Mm. So that's not going to change if you're full time, because you'll still be letting stupid tackles go or still letting people get away with a tackle in the first 10, 15 minutes because it's um, uh, because it's the first 10 or 15 minutes you get a wag finger and see the, a card. So, uh, nah, but we'll take the break because that penalty that we got and... and um, it was just at the right time. Oh, I right. think if uh, Motherwell had weathered the first 20 minutes of that second half, we'd probably just peter do a wee bit. Um, no no nah, probably the, about the it. Because standards. We, we kind of petered out after it. Um, I thought that we Jamie Murphy then gets a terrific goal, you know, just because he can only... He, he keeps the ball just so intelligently rather than just firing the shot at the first defender. And he waits until the gap opens up And then at the exact moment Where he's got the space and the time He then has the technical ability to put it in there He's such a good player Adam Jamie Murphy I've really warmed him And do you know that there was a guy who um, Is a podder (laughs) And I think that he said 
I think Scott is his name. I think he said after oh, how many games was it? I think it was three that Jamie Murphy was pish. Remember? Two and a half, I think it was. Two and a half. He not, he's an ex-podder now, anyway, is he not? He pops up sometimes on the Patreon site, um, but but still, for some reason, he, he wants to stay retired from on here. I think he feels it's kind of like a, a wrestling retirement, you know. I think he he wants to come back for one big match um, soon. But yeah, you know, listeners, if you're missing him, then you know at Scott Harthand on Twitter, get him tell um, that he needs to get his balls back from his wife's purse and uh, come back on the pod and, and make jokes about ice talking. But Murphy is is doing well for us, and I totally agree with Andy's point, Adam. Him and Dorans, although they weren't you know playing as well as we've seen or as well as they can, they're the type of guys that can go. Maybe it's maturity, I don't know. Maybe it's experience, but they go. Do you know what? I'm not playing well, so I'm going to just get back to basics. And I'm going to force something to happen, and more often than not, they kind of then raise their performance up to even you know decent and sometimes better because they have that ability to realise. Yeah, I'm not in great form today, but with hard work, I'll dig it out and I'll produce something. I thought that's what Jamie Murphy and Graham Dorans did. I thought Andy was, was spot on there. Yeah, I think uh, Dorans, I, I gave Dorans man of the match on the tactics pod last night, which might be a bit of a strange one, but I think for the reasons that you said, he, he was pretty poor in the, in the first half. It's his first game back after five months, Aye. fair enough, but he, he was culpable at the goal. Um, it was probably him that was, that was the kind of last mistake if you like um, at the second goal which is which is fair enough but in the second half I thought him and Doherty were impressive Doherty less so um, but Dorans was snapping any tackles and kicking everything that moved and driving the team forward Murphy's a bit more understated in terms of like you wouldn't call him a leader you'd call him someone who you would respect and kind of leads by example I think yeah was, that, that, that's the phrase I think he leads by example he's the type of guy that you can look to, and actually Andy, sorry to, to cut on you Adam, and I will come back in a second to you, but Andy, you've spoken about this before, guys that you can look at and trust, you know, other younger players can look at and go, mm-hmm. he's here, I know it'll be alright, because you can see him just calmly getting on with his job and contributing, I love that about him. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we use a word, we, we keep saying about leaders and everything else, I, I tend to think of players like that as problem solvers, and this is, just to go back to Windass a wee bit as well, if you've got players in the park and Murphy's showing you as much faith as he apparently is to these, these players in the park, so much so that it'll not make a change, you need to have them solving the problems on the park. And that's where your senior players come into play. And that's why Murphy, Dorans, even Candace to an extent, um, were, were, were uh, trying to solve the problems we had on that park. They were, they were dictating what we should be doing as a team. And, and Windass wasn't doing that. He was kind of peripheral to it. Uh, so I, I thought Dorns had an excellent game con- especially considering he's been out for such a period of time and for him to finish the 90 minutes and to finish the 90 minutes so strongly says a lot about the guy um, but one thing that did stick out to me there there was a period in the second half where the, the kind of impetus was with us and Dorns was flying out of tackles there was one tackle in particular that he went in near right to get it and we came away with the ball he was putting his hair on the line now I don't know if in the first half you could say that compared to Motherwell where players were putting themselves on the line. Mother were flying into tackles, there were blocks in the box. There was, they just seemed to be far, far more committed and, and um, willing to do that kind of thing than we were. And, and that's something that's it's not really acceptable because we know we've got better players than them. So if we match up to them in that manner and that commitment, then we should prevail. Uh, but no, Dorns, Murphy, excellent. And before, just before you go back to Adam, I've, I've got a wee note here because 
See the problem with Windows, just take you back to it for a second. Sorry, David. <laughs> <laughs> my Windows obsession's kicked in. Well, I'm um, going to say, though, the, the, the 33% I absolutely love them uh, are going to be, you know, lighting the pitchforks. But please well, say, send your hate tweets to no, at, well, at Bob McPhail. Well, if I, if I'm going to say something, right, and if the guys that defend them don't agree with me, then I generally want you to come forward. The games that Windass has done well this year is when we've clicked. And when we click, we're really good, we look good, and we score great goals. But this is a problem. We need to be able to have a team that wins when we don't click. And that's what's happening at Highbrook's at home far too often. Teams have snuffed it as out. They've kind of got to grips with our formation. And, and that's what happened to the extent the first half. We never clicked. There was nothing happening. We were hitting things long. We weren't being breathing the ball off the back. And that's where uh, Windass just completely falls out the game unless we're clicking. I don't know if that's something that No, no, that's my, yeah, that, that, that's my point from earlier That he needs the rest of the team to be playing well In Aye. order for him to have a chance to play well He's not a make guy it. who can independently go and make something happen on his own Aye But, he, but it's exacerbated by the fact that He doesn't get involved whatsoever In the terms of the physical side of the game Which is something that Dorns or Murphy's You've said, Adam They weren't playing particularly well But they managed to bring themselves up to level Just by getting Good old fashioned sleeves rolled up and get stuck in and trying to make things happen. Yeah, absolutely. Else, I suppose. Absolutely, Adam. I've got to I hate to bring up you know the same things that we bring up, but it, it's the reason we have to do it is because the same mistakes are happening. Substitutions. I mean, I, I felt that you know right forty five to seventy minutes Rangers are the better team. We get back to two each, and I think that we're looking really really good. Seventy to eighty, probably even earlier, maybe sixty five. To, to 80 Mother will come back into it The steady 65 to 70 And 70 to 80 I think become the better side No substitutions One substitution happens When uh, When Josh Windass gets injured But apart from that Nobody uh, Nobody comes on When To me As a layman It was uh, Screaming out For changes To try and Repair the momentum That we'd lost Or regain it rather Or Give the side a boost Or some fresh legs and this is not a new criticism. Is it an unfair criticism? No, it's, it's totally fair. It's so frustrating. I don't know what... He, he said a few times, Marty, that he needs to put the trust in the, player to, the players to solve the problems. That's fair enough, but they created two very big problems in the first half, so they, they obviously couldn't do it. What I thought was interesting was pre, uh, post-match, he came out and said that he had told them uh, how Mullerwell were going to play, the physical threat, etc., and it looked to him like the players just didn't execute it. Now that's them not listening to him, so I don't think they're going to listen to him at half-time, so it's obviously the players have stepped up and said, this isn't good enough, let's get going. I was mildly shocked that there wasn't a substitution at half-time, um, but not really surprised. Um, I just couldn't believe that we waited until, what was it, 82 minutes to bring Cummings on to do the same thing that he's done five or six times it's not going to happen. He, he, he's not going to come on and do that, um, barring Ross County. It, it's it's just the same mistakes, so why wouldn't we keep talking about them? It's the same thing over and over again. Um, again, to reference the tactics board, we were talking last night, and I mentioned that in the game. Now, I'm not a, I'm not an expert at all. I'm a, a layman, the same as you, but I, I could see that we needed to make a change and we needed to, even after we'd scored, bring McCrory on, get Windass off, push Dorans and Doherty forward, bit more offensive, have everybody we were kind of quite, we were dominant in the, the wings but they brought on Henry and it kind of solidified Tavin Candace ripped 
freed apart for that first 15 minutes after half time. Hendry came on, a bit more defensive, and, and, and it kind of stemmed the flow, and that's when we moved over to, to Murphy's side. Um, I just felt, get McCrory on, get a bit more of a solid base, put more players forward with that base there, and see what happens. The other option would have been get Goss on, and, and we were getting a bit of space in the middle, get Goss to start pinging balls. I know he's not been great, but get him to start doing those vertical balls and getting in behind the... They were playing a three at the back, so get them in behind, get them turning, get Candace and Murphy on them. And instead, we just... We got back to two each, and, and they, Motherwell made a change, and for the 15th game in a row, a change was made, and Murphy didn't react and just kept plugging away doing the same thing and, and I, I think I said I'm not blowing one trumpet but I'm pretty sure I said to you guys in the, the group about 70 minutes we're not going to score you know, I, I, I can see it's not going to happen it's just totally died the Motherwell have made their changes and, and shut the game down to an extent we still had chances but a more experienced manager I can't I can't help but think a more experienced manager in that situation tries something different um, and gets the win as, as much as I don't want to compare I guarantee you 100% Rogers would have done something after we got to two each five or, five or ten minutes after that would have done something to change the game I, I'm, I'm pretty confident of that uh, as much as it, as it pains me to say Andy it does seem to be a strange kind of conservatism that runs through Graham Marty with a small C that he does seem a bit gun shy it's almost like he thinks he's rolled a three and he'll stick with it because yeah he could roll a six but he could roll a one and it's almost like he doesn't have that ability to say, OK, it'll be a change, it'll be a gamble, but look at what I can get. It's almost like a fear of losing what he has. And I'm not sure at a club like Rangers, where the demand is always to go and win it rather than to accept a draw, that that is necessarily the right attitude. No, I was, I was quite angered actually on Saturday at the game that there was nothing happening. Because uh, it was quite clear Limpetus was with us. I think we was, was twenty five minutes left and he scored a second. Wasn't there? Was there twenty five? No, there was forty minutes. It was fifty uh, third minute. Was it? So there's plenty of time there, and and for the next ten fifty minutes we did play particularly well, and it was it looked as if we were going to win the game if we kept going. But then it, it just kind of had a walk at one point. And you're right, Adam Motherwell Robinson seen what was happening, and he brought in Big Henry, who is a big, tall, built left sided defender. And it kind of nullified what we were doing on the right-hand side. Um, and I, even at that, I don't think he would have made the change unless Windass got injured. No, he wouldn't have. Because, and, and that in itself is quite criminal because, all right, we've spoken about the strength of the bench, bench we've got and it's no particularly strong for changing the game for the bench, but you had, you did have options. You had you'd Miller, Miller, you'd Goss. For always, for always, you'd got, well, I thought Goss was the natural uh, one to come on because... As you say, he could have just sat there and made sure that boys were going wide. Uh, he, he can shoot, and there's always free kicks, the potential for free kicks and corners and that kind of stuff. So I was a wee bit surprised that that never happened. And Cummins, it's a waste of time, Brian, only with 10 minutes to go. I'm the one to stats, but I'd like to know the stats for substitutes coming in the last 10 minutes and actually impacting the game and scoring. Because um, I, I think he was uh, gun shy, is the words you used, David. That's exactly what it is. He was, he was super conservative, and that he's. I think he's shown far too much faith in them. Um, and, and then it comes back to this thing I was saying about problem solving. If you keep doing what you're doing and it's not working, then Motherwell are obviously going to get wise to it. How many times did we get a good ball in, particularly for Candace, which was to the. If it had a front post runner, we could have done something. But time and again, it was hitting the first defender. Uh, and I don't think that's Candace's fault. I think it's actually where your midfielders 
um, have to make those runs, particularly wind dash, right? But then if you're asking your two midfielders to sit and basically fight against three or four players at a time, then it's then asking a hell of a lot to say, and, and by the way, you need to make late runs into the box in the last 10, 15 minutes of a game. It's not going to happen. So it, it, there's an issue there. There's a definite issue which is exacerbated by the fact that we can say, this guy's an inexperienced manager, and look, there's proof he's an inexperienced manager. Mm. Um, what were Smith used to do as well? What were Smith used to be conservative with his, his substitutions? But Christ knows conservative as that. No, no, I mean, one substitution when you're chasing a game, even, you know, under Walter would have been unheard of. Okay, it might have been later in the game, you know, we all used to laugh about 70 minutes, but he would have made them, and that wasn't the case. And I do, I do understand, you know, earlier in the season, God, the last game against Motherwell, there was nothing on the bench, and I, I get that, but there was a bit more on Saturday, and, and just a reluctance to change things that to me stems from a fear of losing as opposed to a desire to go and win. And that's not the attitude you can have at Rangers. It's You need to be more about going and getting the win and being brave than you need to be about avoiding the defeat. But again, that comes down to mentality because it is a pressurised job and you're going to get it. And you might think, well, a draw, then it will be less bad than if we get criticism if, if, we've, lost, if we've lost the match. Adam, our weekly, you know, is he going to get the job? Uh... I don't believe he is. Uh, I don't think now anything can save him, including a Scottish Cup win. I think his manner sometimes suggests it. I think that we've seen some of the things we were concerned about before we went on our, our good run, which was he looks very emotional in interviews, um, troublingly so at times. However, rather than you know go through the litany of Graham Murray's you know plus points and, and cons, if you like. Let's maybe say that again, this is a board issue because it, we're in it and it's hard to see everything with clarity when you're in, you know, all, as a supporters, when we're going through everything on the day-to-day basis, game-to-game basis. But take a step back and the board have made a howling cunt of this season from a football point of view, from the appointment of Pedro Cachinha to the reluctance to terminate him after progress and as Andy has mentioned before that's when he should have been fired because there was already a body of evidence that the guy just clearly wasn't up to it disastrous pick that he was incidentally so Graham Marty comes in to get the job for a few weeks to tend it they they make it clear they don't want to give him it they want to give it to someone else they take ages to pick someone else they then don't land him so then they turn around and give it to Graham Marty Uh, when you look at it Dispassionately, which is very difficult for us to do. Marty has been in a very difficult situation, and to be honest, one that, if it looks above his pay grade at times, it's probably because it is above his pay grade. It's above the level he is at in his career. It's like pitching in a guy from the under 16s to the first team and then not being happy if, if the if the boy doesn't turn around and perform like a superstar. Yeah, I. I um... I'm in two minds about it. So I think it's, it's 100% the board's fault that we're in this situation. Um, that's that's a definite. However, it was not the board's fault four weeks ago. Um, they were riding a crest of a wave with Marty and everything looked quite good. And all right, he's inexperienced and, and it's been quite poor game management. Um, he's actually quite similar to Windass, if you, if you think about it. He, he's a six or a seven most weeks with a couple of faults. Sometimes he hits a nine. 
when really we need to be an eight or a nine every week, unfortunately. So you just need to deal with it. If you're not at that level, then you need to go, um, which is fair enough. But in saying that, and saying it's, it's a board issue and he's been pitched in, that's that's totally fine. However, these are rudimentary mistakes he's making, as, as far as I can see. And he's got experienced coaches alongside him. Jimmy Nichol is very, very experienced. Johansson is experienced, more experienced than Murty is. I don't understand why there's not more of a conversation is even as simple as make a fucking substitution. Like, I, I don't understand where that falls down. McCrory was out in front of me, I'm, I'm going on the rant again, but McCrory was out in front of me from about 60 minutes until the end of the game, warming up for a full half hour. What's that for? What, what, why? What's happening? You were never putting him on. What, what's he doing out there? He's just standing doing stretching for a full half hour. You've obviously told him to go out and then you've changed your mind. I, it's just poor game management and I think that is an experience as, as you said Andy is there an issue between the relationship between Graham Murty and Jimmy Nicol it's, it's something that's been mentioned by fans I don't know if there's any truth in it I, I genuinely don't um, but I kind of agree with Adam that you know I would expect Jimmy Nicol to on Saturday be saying make a change or, or do whatever is it a case of because Graham Murty didn't choose him that he's happy enough to work with him but he's not going to take his word or he's not going to take his advice um, but there are times where Jimmy Nicol doesn't look as though he's got the level of input that an assistant manager might expect to have mm, I never really thought about it I mean uh, I suppose as a manager if anybody's ever been in any kind of manager position regardless of what industry it's in you're always the one at the box stop so it's you the one that has to live or die by your own decisions and sometimes there's that uh, kind of final decision making which is where I'll make the decision and if it goes right then it's my credit if it goes wrong it's my fault kind of thing I think Johansson and this is purely just visual observations is that Johansson talks to him a hell of a lot more in deep conversation in a dugout than, than Jimmy Nicol does um, and I, I don't know I always thought Nicol's job or remit when he came in was basically around the training ground on the training park Um that kind of keep the players bubbling kind of thing as opposed to the hard-nosed decision-making side of things. But we don't know. I don't know for, for sure. But the bottom line is that Murty is uh, clearly the one that makes the decisions because I don't think there's many managers would have sat on uh, the lack of substitutions for so many games. So it's clearly a, a Murty trait. I don't think there's anybody telling them don't put a substitute on or keep faith with these players because they'll repay you kind of thing. Um, but I don't know. Murty, well, regardless of what happens between the end of the season, he'll go with credit in the bank as far as, as, far as I'm concerned. Oh, and definitely. I think the most, most fair-minded supporters will say the same. He's, he's done a job for us. And as Adam, you said, four or five weeks ago, everyone was looking great and the team is doing well. But and I, and I use the, the phrase, the, we've got the fundamentals in place. And I still believe we do have the fundamentals in place because we do have a, a decent team that, we're, that when we click, as I say, plays very good football. But that has got to be complemented by the kind of short-term ability to change things to suit individual games. And, and that's clearly no harm because we're, we're losing games against Comano and in the next week, it's the exact same implementation. So for me, that's a major, major fault. It's back to the kind of war button thing where he was so committed to a certain formation and style of play and that it basically boiled down to whether the players turned up or not. Um, 
I don't know where we go from here. And, and that is me saying exactly what I said back in what, October, November, when mm. we were talking about Kajinia. I don't know where we go for it because there's no outstanding candidate. And um, I think what we saw before was the board having more of a say than the director of football. I think that's been clear. And I think that might have changed now. Because uh, Mark Allen, and I listened to Tactics Pod, Adam, and you had a very interesting conversation about the, the support's attitude towards the director of football and whether there's an understanding and an appreciation of what that actually means. Mark Allen will basically live or die by your signings <laughs> because that's as simple as it gets for, for the football support. If your signings are good, then Mark Allen's in credit. If they're, if they're poor, then he'll get the blame here. And, and then now we've got Cummins, Murphy, Goss, and so forth, so on. Uh, uh, he'll get the credit for that. I think he has to make the final decision of who the manager is because A, he's got to work with the guy and the, and the guy that comes in has got to be able to work with him. Um, and B, the board are in the football people. They might be the, the people writing the checks and I get that, but they made an arse of senior. Uh, I don't know if McInnes was the right guy. right? I still think he's a decent manager and he'd have probably done a job. But the next one has got to be a football decision uh, made for the right football decisions in terms of the structure of the club and what happens. And my last point before I let you speak <laughs> is that, see, for now on, I think the Rangers, for, for as long as we have a director of football structure, the Rangers support need to actually have a wee shift in understanding that this is a coach we're going to be getting and coaches are disposable and that's okay. If they're not doing their job, they will be replaced. I don't think we're going to see a, a kind of three-year, four-year managerial reign any longer unless the guy's exceptionally successful. And I think that's the way football is going around the world. Um, and but De Boer, I don't think he's the man. I think, I think the reason the likes of De Boer isn't the man is because of games like Saturday. He would have came in and that game would have shocked him, just like the semi-final shot Kishinya. But hey, that's Scottish football. Unfortunately, the manager that comes in has got to be able to. Yeah, be ready for that. I think that's a good point, Andy. I think um, your point about director of football is, is key. We're effectively trying to build the house as well as living in it at the same time, and it's, it's going to yeah. take a, it's going to take a bit of, a bit of um, working around. I, I think it would be remiss to not give Marty praise because, to be fair to him, he's got the team playing better than Kishinya, Warburton, even McCoy's had. He's had them playing well in spells, more prolonged spells than they have. So there are pros and cons. Uh, for me, it's, it's quite frustrating because. He's the ideal profile of the head coach that you would want, maybe with five years more experience under his belt. Um, he will, like you said, he will work with a director of football. He, the players buy into him. Um, they, they seem to get, he got quite a big bounce out of them. I think they probably still do buy into him. It's just the minute details that come from experience, such as game management and, and knowing, you've been over the course a few times and knowing what to do in certain situations that he doesn't quite have just now. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm with you. I don't think the Boer is, is a goer. I think that's got it's it's difficult to tell because he's 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 on a downward downward trend just now because of the last two seasons. However, is that is it his fault? Is it is it going into enter as a basket case? Going into Crystal Palace as a basket case? Is it is it his fault or or is it? It's similar to when Rodgers left Liverpool. Is is it just circumstances and he's still a really good coach who won. Obviously, won four in a row at Ajax, and we could have a chance to, to get someone in that we wouldn't normally get, and, and he performs really well. Or 
Is he just simply not able to adapt outside of four three three Ajax with all those tactical coaches and, and people round about him that, that helped him out? I don't know. I don't envy the, the board or director of football picking this one because I have not seen a candidate anywhere mentioned that to me, I think, yes, he'll tick all the boxes in terms of what we need from structure-wise, director of football, etc., a tactician, a motivator, the fans are going to be happy with. I've, I've not seen one that ticks all the boxes yet, so I don't I don't envy the, the decision-making. Well, if you're talking about a guy on a downward trend who's available, Alan Pardew gets sacked today. Now, <laughs> from a football point of view, it would be a fucking disastrous signing, but from a Bant sign, oh, come on. Can you imagine this guy in Glasgow? Seriously, can you imagine? I mean, his first day on the job, he's banging one of the secretaries over the table, he zips up, walks out and goes, ain't me a cup of tea, you slag, sits down and does his interview. I mean, the, the, game number three, he nuts Brendan Rogers, and when asked about it by the SFA says, he was mugging me off. I mean, the, the, there's so much Bant's potential here, Adam. Oh, it would be unreal. Every press conference would be... 5am Monday morning Aliyah Casino It would be yeah. uh, It would be interesting To say the least But um... Oh he's a fucking disaster From a football point of view But Andy come on Think about it You know like we, we, we have a draw against Motherwell And we're playing on the Wednesday And he takes the team off To fucking Marbella For a day and a half <laughs> On the piss And they're all sitting At Glasgow airport Taking pictures of their Stella He's got an ego that's totally unjustified. Yes, he does. It's uh, it's monstrous. I remember listening to a podcast with him getting interviewed, and you thought you were getting interviewed. You'd think it was uh, <laughs> Henry Kissinger or something who's getting interviewed. <laughs> it was fucking unbelievable. Well, this is what I did, and this is and and to be fair, he's been a lot with very little. I've got to say, he's been. You don't just get lucky to become a premier manager, a premiership manager, and earn the kind of wages he's earned. So he's obviously done something, but. Uh, I don't think it'd be a good fit. <laughs> oh, I just I can, I can imagine you know day one there's a there's a female linesman or lines person and uh, he just walks up and goes fucking milk and two sugars love slaps her on the arse and walks back to the dugout. It would honestly that's what we need to do. Hire a guy who thinks he's a villain from uh, Life on Mars. That that that's kind of the way it, we go. If we kind of get a proper manager, fuck it, get Pardiola and and we'll just do the Banshee's Redux, but this time in three D. Uh, uh, I'm joking before anybody starts and say fucking Alan Pardew I know right I'm kidding Uh, but anyway Andy I'm glad you're on because on Friday Dave King stunned the world of Celtic bloggers by uh, making the court ordered bid for the rest of the shares after he'd been found to be acting in concert with the three bears when it came to buying shares in Rangers and he uh, was ordered to make if you go through the thirty percent or holding of any company, you need to make a formal offer for the rest of them. Um, wh- what does this mean for Rangers, if anything? I don't. Think, I, I, I honestly, now this is just my opinion because I know that when we start talking about Dave King, there's various opinions and viewpoints. I, I, I honestly don't think this has got much to do with Rangers. That sounds stupid, doesn't it? I think it's got a lot to do with. Uh, the legacy of a couple of shitsters, for lack of a better word, and this is our last kick at King. Um, and unfortunately, he's got to comply, right? So this is where he's had to kind of show that he's got the funds to do it, and he's got to make the offer. I don't think there'll be many take up the offer. There will be some. There's probably always somebody that'll 
cash their chips in, especially if they got them at a, we should at a explain, lower price yeah, originally. We, we should explain that the shares are currently trading for more than he would have to bid because he has to make a bid at the price at the time. So people would be underselling their shares if they decide to take up the offer. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think it, it's just another barrier that's had to be overcome. It's a bit unfortunate because it'll cost King personally just simply for setting up the mechanism for offering. Uh, he's left it late. Um, it kind of tied in with the, the interim uh, accounts, which were, I would describe as sparse, right? I've, I was pretty gushing in the annual accounts and how transparent and, and uh, kind of toolsome they were. The interim accounts, which don't need to be so much, were very, very sparse. So I, I think what to take away from it is that see all this nonsense about Dave King being, a, being skint, and and the, the usual bloggers and everybody else saying this, that, and the next thing. You can say what you want about Dave King, right? And you can have any opinion you want about Dave King. But the guy has gone a few rounds with a government tax uh, department. And that is a stressful thing to do for anybody, right? Anybody who's been through it will know that. I don't think he's a guy that gets overly concerned about things because he has means and... Well, they might not be as transparent as everybody would want them to be. There's a £13 million dividend for a family trust, uh, or a, a company trust, I should say. That is the way high net worth people operate. It's not a case that they've got £50 million sitting in the bank in cash. Yeah, exactly. uh, they're, they're always in structures. They're always as efficient as possible. They might be opaque. That is just the way things are. And there'll not be a multi-millionaire or a billionaire in the, anywhere. That doesn't operate that way. So I think it, it put to bed a couple of things about Dave King's personal wealth. I think that's true. The only other thing I would bring up is, and it's, it's flew under the radar, I don't think anybody's mentioned it. It's the first time I've seen his daughter mentioned. Uh, she was mentioned as um, one of the directors of uh, Laird Limited, or the company Laird. And it's just an interesting thing for me because he's always, obviously spoken in the past about, in inverted commas, his family's inheritance. Um, so it's just interesting to see where she lies with this kind of stuff and her dad spending so much money on a football club across in Scotland um, and how that will happen and how she'll have any input if any in the future because I remember what's happened down at Southampton they had a family I can't remember what nationality they were but Dutch. ended up the daughter was okay. in charge there wasn't it? Dutch anyway yeah, yeah then she did and uh that was why Southampton put in place their structure, you know, of selling players and being profitable because she didn't have the emotional attachment. So her father had kind of dreamed of taking them into the Champions League, whereas she has made them into a very successful and profitable business, but not with the same kind of structure that he had in place for it and um, kind of different ideals as well. Although, you know, look at Southampton up to this season, they have been doing well. You can't say that under our stewardship it was it was run particularly badly. Adam, any thoughts? Um, Andy, do you think do you think anybody will take up the offer? Because although we're saying that it's uh, what did you say today, David, maybe forty percent less than, than the market price, some of those shares will have been bought for a lot less than that. So do you think anybody would uh, be thinking they're just gonna make profit on what they've got, although it's not the best deal they're gonna get, it's, it's still a deal. Do you think anybody uh, would would pick this up? I do. I think if you're sitting there and you're looking at what King and the board are looking to do, I don't think they're looking to uh, 
return value in the traditional sense for a company. What they're looking to do is return football and success, and then hopefully share price or, or um, a return would come that way. But I don't think Rangers are ever going to pay a dividend or anything like that. So you will get some shareholders, and I don't want to name them because I've got a couple of brothers in mind that I think will probably use it, that will just cash their chips in. Um, so it will cost them some money on top of the, the kind of mechanisms and that kind of stuff, but I don't think it's... I think I said before, David, when you asked me about this in a previous pod, I don't think it's a material impact on Rangers as such. I don't think Dave King sitting there with a budget of how much he wants to put forward into Rangers and he's deducting this amount from it. I think he's... He, he would have known going into this that there was always the possibility of a concert party thing being uh, pursued uh, and, it, and it's came to fruition. So I think, well, he might not have been budgeting for it. There, it would have been there as a possibility for him. Um, and it was interesting that we're, we're now seeing clarity that there's, I think it's 17.7 million being put into the club from the, the various benefactors, for lack of a better word, that they're going to change it back into equity. King, at the start, when he first flew into Glasgow Airport and he spoke about 20, 30 million and all these kind of figures, he was kind of loose with his lips with that because he was putting figures in people's minds and then people would use it as a, a stick to beat them with and say, well, where's the 20 million, where's the 30 million? Because people, or, or football supporters, obviously think that it's straight away as transfers and investment in the club and all that kind of stuff. But I always thought it as a, a slow burn where you would have a club that's running at a loss for maybe five, six, seven years potentially, and they would be showing up a loss of two or three million pounds every year here or there, uh, depending on how things go in the park. And, and that's what's happening. Um, so I, I think... Personally, right, this is my opinion. I think the board have been very, very good for Rangers and they've played it with a straight bat so far and, and they've did what they said. The football side of things is a completely different um, thing to manage because, as we all know, it can go any way for good or bad. So you can't really say that this board, uh, that it was never going to be a possibility or things have went the way it's went so far in terms of managers and all that kind of stuff. But off the park, I think we're well on track. Everything's an upward trajectory. We've got other things to come in terms of merchandise and retail, uh, sponsorship, and then other costs that we've got outstanding, as in repairing the fabric at Highbrook Stadium and actually trying to get it back up to where it should be. That's in the budget as well just now. That will gradually uh, ebb away, and that money then becomes freed up for the things we want to spend on, which is the team on the park. Absolutely. So, uh, always nice to get Andy on to, to go through the financials because uh, he knows a lot more about it than I do. So, I always like to bring in experts. Maybe maybe something there for Graham Marty to bear in mind that, that you don't need to know everything, uh, even if you're the, the head. You can always have experts who know a bit more than you in certain sectors. Uh, I think that's a good idea. Okay, folks, that'll, that'll do us for this week. Now, one announcement before we go anywhere. Actually, two announcements before we go anywhere. Um, first of all, the... Clint Hill Night, the live show at the Loudoun on the 8th of June. The tickets will go on sale for it on Friday night at 7 o'clock. Now, it will sell out, and the last show, which didn't feature any X-Rangers players, just featured us, sold out in under 90 seconds. So, if you want tickets, you're going to have to get them. 7 o'clock, Friday night, I'll post on Twitter, Facebook, etc. So... 
don't say you weren't warned basically it'll be a fabulous night uh, Clint Hill joining the panel for a night you know that what we do we don't give the ex-players any special treatment <laughs> we've got to go up there uh, it gets a bit raunchy and uh, Adam uh, yeah, well uh, Andy you've got experience of doing one and Adam didn't because he was too drunk the last time if you recall <laughs> Adam was like a wee rubber man that night <laughs> <laughs> I said to him, do you want to be on the panel? And he's like, eh, eh. I was like, no, in, in that case, I, I don't think we'll Can bother. Dave, I'm going to buy in here. See Clint Hill? My wife's got a thing for Clint Hill. Oh, I was quite shocked. Aye. Well, I was quite shocked that last season she let it slip. And uh, I mentioned it to her. I says, I think uh, Cammy's got Clint Hill for a loud night. And she went, what? What? Oh, you're kidding me on. So she'll be in the. She's quite religiously. She'll be in the so, blue room with him. Don't get a ticket. That's what I was going to say. No, 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 no. I'm not going to deny your missus. Uh, you're miss a lovely lady. No, no, no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. That wouldn't be very Presbyterian of me. No, no. I'll take her. I'll take her through the back and say, "Hi, this is Clint. On you go," um, and just just leave them to it. That Scouse accent, mate. You know, it's just it's gonna. You're gonna have your work cut out that night, handsome Andy. But you've never scored a goal at Parkhead. You're fucking right. <laughs> I'm just saying, uh, you've never made a wee ball girl great, so uh, <laughs> I, I think. Uh, <laughs> well, hopefully not. Not in that manner, anyway. But uh, yeah, Clint Hill, 8th of June at the Loudon. It's going to be some night. It will be absolutely amazing. Um, tickets on sale this Friday at 7 o'clock. If you want to support the podcast, uh, you can do so in two ways. You can subscribe to our uh, our Patreon site. You get three shows per day, and they're in all manner of things. Adam has mentioned his tactic show. Andy actually took part in a show with Stephen Harrigan this week about the business of football. It was really interesting where they broke down. Uh, everything to do with the off-field mechanics of football and not just Rangers, cracking show. So there's, there's tons of content on there. You don't have to listen to all of it, right? Same as you don't have to watch everything on Netflix. You can just pick or choose the series that you like and uh, we think you'll enjoy it. Most people are on there seem to. But you can also buy a T-shirt and uh, the advertising slogan I've come up with for this is buy a fucking T-shirt. Um, and you can do that by visiting heartandhand.co.uk. Right, nice and simple, heartandhand.co.uk. It's a really nice T-shirt. Uh, you buy it, I get the money, and I spend it. That's pretty much how this works, Adam Scrap Heap or not. Yep, just buy a fucking T-shirt, that's it. That's it. This, this summer, all the cool people, the only thing to be in 2018 is wearing Heart and Hand. Right, we come in your ears, we'd now like to cover your body in our white material. Here's your chance. Um, very reasonably priced, and if you buy uh, two, then you'll pay twice the price. So, can't say fairer than that. Uh, that, I think, is everything from me, apart from thanking our, spa- our sponsors, Maitland & Co. For all your legal needs, visit maitlandandco.net, and that's M-A-I-T-L-A-N-D-A-N-D-C-O.net. Uh, with that, I'd like to thank our executive producers in London, Mr. Mike Lee and Mr. Paul Miles, and thank my guests tonight who were absolutely brilliant. First of all, Mr. Andy McGowan. Pleasure, David. And Mr. Adam Thornton. Cheers, guys. I'll be back on Thursday with our preview pod for the Dundee game. Till then, stay staunch. Thanks very much. Bye.
Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.